John chapter 4 this morning. What you might need to know about the context of our passage, we will kind of look at all of this uh, throughout the message. But this is Jesus as He goes to Samaria. He sits on the well of Jacob and uh, He is... Famished. I mean, he's absolutely uh, exhausted from having to walk such a great distance. There's a very good chance that just in the time from the morning till about lunchtime here, Jesus has walked a, a solid 15 plus miles to get to this place. He's exhausted as he sits on this well. The disciples are not with him at this moment as we read the passage. In fact, they came with him to Samaria, but they have left. The Bible tells us that they've gone to get meat. So we assume that they saw how exhausted Jesus was, how at the end of his rope he was. He just needed a break under a shade tree by a well there. And so they go to the market to get some food, and Jesus is there all alone. As he's there, a woman comes to the well at noontime, which we will understand later is a bit of an oddity. She comes all alone. She's getting water. Jesus initiates a conversation with her. And he says, well, I would like some water. And all this is paraphrasing. I'd like some water. And she says, well, how are you speaking to me? Jews don't really speak to Samaritans. They don't have any dealings with us. And he said, well, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask of me a drink of water. And she says, well, why would I ask a drink from you? You don't even have a bucket. You don't even have anything to draw the water with. And Jesus says, oh, this water, if you drink of this water, you'll you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give, you will never thirst again. Jesus is not speaking about the water at the bottom of the well. He is speaking of eternal life that was provided through Him on the cross. And He's saying, if you will drink of Me, if you will place your faith and trust in Me, you will be saved for eternity. And out of your belly shall flow rivers of water. You will be fully complete because you know Me as your personal Savior. And it's during this, as uh, the lady kind of then shifts the conversation. We'll look at all this, but I kind of want you to know where we're at before we get to reading. She shifts the conversation as Jesus says, Before I really go into all this, why don't you go get your husband? The lady says, Well, I don't really have a husband. And Jesus says, You know what? You've said it the exact right way. He says, You've had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your own. So it's presumed that the Bible is telling us that this lady is living in some sort of adulterous relationship. And the moment Jesus confronts her with her sin, she says, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers say we should worship on this mountain, but you, y'all say that we should worship on that mountain. And she totally redirects the conversation. She begins to use all of the religious vernacular that she knows to change the subject from her desperate need for Him because she is a sinner. She begins to ask about which mountain should she worship on and Jesus kind of confronts her and says, God does not worship, God's not going to be worshipped on any particular mountain. If you want to worship the Lord, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, and then she says, well, I know that Messiah is coming. 
Here again, she, she jumps from one subject, the location of worship, to the other subject, the person of worship. And she says, I know Messiah is coming. And I, I don't have all the blanks filled in. I don't have all the answers. But when Messiah comes, which is called the Christ, He shall tell us all things. And Jesus says, and, and listen to me, there are many people in the world that would say that Jesus never claimed to be Messiah, that, uh, that He never uh, actually made that claim. The Bible says, when Jesus talks to her, He says, He that speaketh to thee am He. He says, you're speaking to the one who you're talking about. I am Messiah, and I will tell you all things. So that moment she departs. And it's right here where we pick up our passage this morning. The disciples are returning from the market. Uh, we can assume they've brought some maybe baloney because that's what real Baptists, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. Judas was probably siphoning some. They probably bought, brought some baloney and sandwiches. And uh, they come back and it's at this point we pick up the, the passage of Scripture. Verse 27. And unto this came his disciples. And this conversation, he's just claimed to be Messiah to this lady. And they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. And saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now could you imagine being one of those men who is in this lady's history, probably if she has some pretty questionable relationships, it took two to tango. And now Jesus says, there's a man out by the well telling me everything that I've ever done in my life. Some of the guy's ears perked up and said, I'm one of those things. I probably better go out there and see what he's talking about. This had to be alarming to some of those men. Now verse 30, then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? They couldn't understand what he was talking about. Did you give him something to eat? Did you give him something to eat? Because he, he was hungry. He says he's not hungry now. Who gave him something to eat? Verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to finish His work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Jesus spoke much about the harvest. And here He looks to His disciples and says, Guys, why don't you just look? Why don't you just become aware of what's really happening around you? Guys, you're in the middle of it all, and yet you're unaware of what's really taking place. He says, all you have to do is lift up your eyes. He says, why don't you remove the blind spots of the harvest? Just look. Jesus spoke about the harvest often. In fact, Matthew chapter 9, He said unto His disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. Just look, men. Just look. The harvest is plenteous. 
How many of you have ever noticed, or how many of y'all noticed in recent weeks, the condition of the fields around the Johnson County area here lately? Uh, All the agriculture fields, they're all about the same right now. Now, if you're a farmer, you're kind of cheating because you know what I'm talking about. But right now, all the fields are are, uh, in the same condition. And you can look at fields throughout the year, and depending on what's been planted in them, they're all at different stages of growth. But right now, just about every field you look at has just freshly been plowed. They're getting ready to plant right about the 1st of September in our area. That's kind of when it happens. And you can drive from Johnson County all the way out to uh, uh, Abilene, and you will see just about every field on the side of the road has been freshly plowed. Now, to be honest, if you were to be honest this morning, how many of you have even noticed that? I mean, my wife drives down the road and she doesn't notice anything. The other day we're coming back through Crescent. She says, oh, look, those houses are new. I said, babe, those have been there for five years. (laughs) And uh, ladies don't tend to notice stuff like that. But, But have you noticed the state of the fields? You know the reason that I have noticed it and there's a good chance that you have not? I've just been looking for it. I just looked. Now it's not an indictment upon your spiritual state if you don't know what the fields look like in Johnson County. But my point is this. If we want to see the condition of the harvest this morning, we've got to look. That's what Jesus says. Guys, disciples, just lift up your eyes and look. I believe if we'll truly look this morning, we'll find the harvest is plenteous and the fields are white unto harvest. So how can we be assured that we do not have blind spots in this harvest? Number one, I want you to see with me this morning, if we are going to be, take part in this great harvest, we, must need to, we, we, mu- we need to go to untraveled places. We need to go to untraveled places. The Bible tells us that Jesus, early on in this chapter must needs go through Samaria. Verse number 4, that's what the Bible says. And he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus has just been ministering in the area surrounding Jerusalem, both in and around Jerusalem. And earlier in chapter, or verse number 2 of this passage, the Bible says because he had baptized so many converts, even more so than John the Baptist, not Jesus, but his disciples, uh, the, the Pharisees began to get alarmed about what was going on. You know, if you get enough fire burning, the, fire, the firefighters tend to pay attention. A few times my dad's been out burning leaves at the house and all of a sudden we hear the, the sirens show up at uh, old 5813 over on uh, Thousand Oaks Drive. You see, that's the way it works. If you get a big enough flame, the fire department shows up. And Jesus knew that he had so many converts coming, so many baptisms. What took place then was the Pharisees began to get alarmed at it. He couldn't right now afford a confrontation with the Pharisees, so he leaves Jerusalem and goes to, uh, returns to Galilee. Now, if you were to just look on a map, I could have put it on the screens this morning, but all you need to know is Jerusalem is approximately 70 miles directly south of where Jesus is returning to, Galilee. Now, if you were to just draw a straight line from Jerusalem to Galilee, you would have to go right through the heart of Samaria. The issue is most people did not. 
Most people circumnavigated Samaria. In fact, they went uh, east, crossed over the Jordan River, went through wilderness and desert places so that they did not have to interact with the Samaritans. They basically doubled the distance of travel and went through much more uncomfortable conditions, all in the, in the interest of avoiding uh, interaction with the Samaritans. But Jesus says, we must needs go through Samaria. He intentionally chose to go this place. But there was a timing issue here that I think is worth pointing out. The Bible tells us that Jesus approaches the well about the sixth hour of the day. That is right at high noon. Uh, what Oftentimes these cities were built right on wells. This was the well of Jacob and it was a faithful well. It was a well that produced plenty of water. So towns built out from wells. That was the center hub of the town. And in the early mornings and the late evenings, people could be seen coming to these wells. In fact, for ladies, it was much more uh, uh, appropriate that they would come in groups. Have you ever been with a group of ladies out to eat and you notice that they all go to the bathroom at the exact same time? That didn't start in America. That's been happening since wells in Samaria, okay? They all go to the well together. They all go to the bathroom together. And that's where, that's generally what would happen. But this lady does not go with anyone. And she does not go at the same time of day as other people would. Now you have to kind of speculate on what the reasoning for that is. Potentially she was viewed as an outcast from society because of her promiscuous lifestyle. Perhaps because she was a bit of a home wrecker, she had been forced outside of the social circle of the ladies. And, and maybe she did used to accompany them to the water well, but she doesn't anymore. Maybe she just ran out of water at an inconvenient time and she had an emergency. She really needed to go to get some water. All of that really is not pertinent to the point of this. The point of this is Jesus went to this place and God arranged this meeting. Do you believe in divine appointments? I absolutely do. When I was in college, I remember being around so many young men who were just on fire for the Lord. And I heard such good preaching all the time. I mean, five days a week uh, during the week and then three times on Sunday. I mean, just heard such good preaching. And I just got on fire for the Lord. But I saw that, man, I needed to have a passion for souls. And I got burdened that I wasn't seeing enough souls come to Jesus. And I knew that there were others around me that were. And I remember I just began to pray in earnest that God would allow me to come into contact with somebody who would not just hear the gospel, but would accept the gospel and be saved. Man, I began to pray in earnest. And I remember it kind of came to a head one evening as I was on my way to pick up my, my roommate Tom from CVS. He worked there and he got off at midnight one night as he had been, uh, been stocking stuff all day. And, uh, and now I went to CVS and I remember on the way driving down 40th Street East there, uh, 40th Street West there in Lancaster. And I remember tears streaming down my face as I prayed and I said, God, 
I'm trying to live right. God, I'm trying to be a witness and yet nobody is coming to my path. I'm trying to confront people and no, I'm not seeing any fruit. And, and man, I was just in tears driving down the road. I felt like a little bit of a goober trying to drive down the road. People stopping at the light and they're looking at me and you know, you see people singing to the bottom of their lungs. I'm just sitting over there weeping. Nobody's in my car. And I felt just ridiculous. But man, I was just so moved and burdened and I just wanted to see somebody come to Jesus. I pulled up to CVS there in time. Tom took longer than he said he was to get off. And I pulled up to the parking spot there. Hardly anybody was in the parking lot that late at night. And I noticed a young man over on the corner. He's just sitting on a curb. He had a bicycle there. And tears were streaming down his face. And I said, well, if I'm crying and you're crying, we might as well just cry together. And the Lord told me, he said, you need to go over and speak to that man about my son. And I said, well, Lord, curfews you know, already in place at school. I wasn't really even supposed to leave. I got special permission to leave campus to come pick up my, my roommate. I, I probably don't need to go over there and talk to this man because I got to get back just to abide by the rules of college. And, and uh, the Lord said, no, you need to go speak to that man. I said, Lord, he obviously has plenty of stuff on his plate because he's, he's sitting over there crying. He obviously has a lot of stuff going on. He doesn't have time to listen to what I have to say. And plus, if I go over there and begin to witness to him at any moment in time, Tom's going to come out. He's going to ruin the whole thing. Right when I'm about to lead the man through the sinner's prayer, Tom's going to come out and say, hey, Andrew, I'm ready to go. And I, I just, I had excuse after excuse after excuse on why I should not witness to that man. But eventually I got so convicted that I had been crying out to God that he would allow me to lead somebody to the Lord. And yet, I was not willing to go the extra 10 feet that he put in my path. I finally got out of my car, went over there and spoke to the man. Come to find out, he had been kind of left. Uh, he was from Los Angeles originally. And his friends had come up with him, but they had left him and they returned to L.A. He was crying because he had no way back home. He didn't know what to do. He had no way out. I said, man, I, I wish I could just hop in my truck and give you a ride down to L.A. I can't do that because i got to get back to my school. I'm already kind of breaking the rules being here as it is. But I said, I can't give you a ride, but I just would like to ask you a simple question. He said, okay. And I asked him about his salvation. I said, if you died right now, are you 100% sure you would go to heaven? He said, no, I have no idea that I would. I took the Bible that night, and there about midnight on CVS's curb, I showed that man how to be saved, and he came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He was born again right there with tears streaming down both of our faces. And you could say, Brother Andrew, that he just got him in an emotional state. No, that was a divine appointment. I had been crying out to God that he would put that man in my path. And maybe perhaps that man had been crying out to God that somebody would come into his path. Who knows? But I believe in divine appointments. Jesus shows up at this well and he is not unaware that this lady that comes at such an odd time of the day might just need to be saved. Sometimes we just got to be aware that God may put people in our life and in our path that we are their resident missionary. They'll never darken the doors of this church house. They'll never click on YouTube and listen to me scream and holler and spit all over this pulpit. No, but you are their witness. 
Do you believe in divine appointments? I think that Jesus shows us a lot about the timing of this right here. And I want you to see not only the timing, but there was another issue at hand here, and that was the turbulent past that the Samaritans and Jews had. Verse number 9 explains to us that even when Jesus engaged this woman in speech, she said, notice verse number 9, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. There's a pretty lengthy history here that's probably way too long for me to go into. But basically what you need to know is, years ago, Babylon had come in and taken much of the Jewish population to Babylon. They besieged the the area and took most of the desirables back to Babylon. Uh, An example of this would be Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They looked at these young men and they said, Yep, y'all are pleasing. Y'all are smart. Y'all have got talent. I think we ought to take y'all back to Babylon. And they wanted to train them up in the ways of the Babylonians. But all the undesirables... All those that were of a lower poverty level, all those that didn't have any real skills or assets that might benefit the Babylonian kingdom, they left here in what is now known as Samaria. These were the lower levels of Jewish culture. And then while that exile took place, foreigners moved in and these people, these Jews, began to intermarry with these foreigners. And what took place was uh, a, a, a group of people who became a subculture of Jews. They weren't fully Jew. They weren't fully Gentile. In fact, from the perspective of a Jew, they viewed a Samaritan with more animosity than they did just a Gentile. Because to them, they said, you had the true religion. You had a relationship with God. You knew what was right, and you chose to go the other way. They looked at them as dogs. And now this history is at play, and yet Jesus, in grace and in love, over overcomes the obstacles at play, all the biases, all the racism, all of the uh, inequality that may have existed. Right here we find Jesus loved this woman regardless of her condition. What we find is there's not many races in humanity. There's only one. We are the race of Adam. We are all descendants from the same father. Uh, We started in Adam. We bottlenecked again there at Noah. You see, we all are from the same place. The pigmentation of our skin, the, uh, the income level that we enjoy, the political views that we hold, none of these things affect our spiritual state. We are either saved and on our way to heaven or we are lost and on our way to hell. And that is primarily Jesus' first and foremost concern. Oftentimes we let things distract us. The thing I like about this, and I think the thing I want to point out to you, is Jesus intentionally carried the gospel with him wherever he went. To Jerusalem, to Galilee, and Samaria, wherever he went, the gospel went with him. I was encouraged this week as Brother Charlie told me about a young lady in our youth department who knew she was going to have to wear a face mask at school. It was required, so she had a friend that was making face masks. And and she asked her friend to make her a face mask that said, Faith over fear. 
And the reason is because at youth camp she had made a decision to be a witness. She had made a decision to try to be a testimony in the public school. And she thought within herself, how can I best be a testimony? And she made a decision that she would wear her face mask that said, Faith over fear. And anybody that asked her about it, she would then encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was encouraged last Sunday morning as a young man came to me and preacher as we were seated right here after service. And he came to us and he said, Brother Andrew, preacher, I need you all to pray with me about something. I said, okay, what do you need us to pray with you about? Oftentimes folks ask us for health conditions and, uh, you know, my grandma's sick and, and all these things. No, he said, I've got a friend. My friend got some pretty bad news the other day, medically speaking. And I thought to myself, well, he's going to ask me to pray about his medical condition. He said, no, Brother Andrew, I've set up a time. He's going to go to lunch with me this week, and I'm going to witness to him. And he's been on my heart for a long time, and I just want to witness to him. You see, the harvest is plenteous for those of us that are willing to enter into the field. These folks are trying to think of ways, even in a COVID chaos, how they can be a witness and a light to their community, to the, to the people around them. Are you intentionally carrying the gospel of Jesus with you wherever you go? Because when we travel in unknown places, we will find that the, the, the harvest truly is plenteous. But not only is there the fact that we need to travel in untraveled places, there is secondly, we need to reach an unreached people. Now, I don't want you to mistake this. The idea we have when we first say, well, this is an unreached people, we say, well, we need to go to the foreign fields of Africa and the deepest, darkest parts of the jungle that we might preach to people that have never heard the gospel. That is not what I'm saying. The Samaritans had religion. In fact, if you read the details of this story, the lady speaks to Jesus about worship. And she's not speaking to him about worship of false gods. She is speaking to him of worship of Yahweh. In fact, here in Samaria, they have built a temple, a a sort of rival temple, so that they may worship there in Samaria. And that's her point. Do we worship on this mountain or do we go back to the, the temple mount in Jerusalem? This lady had all the familiarity of religion that she could handle. In fact... The Samaritans believed the first five books of the Bible. They believed that 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 was part of their religion. Now they had mixed it and combined it with all sorts of superstitions, but this lady was very well acquainted with religion. And yet she was lost. She didn't know Christ as her personal Savior. If you'll take one glimpse at America today, the saddest part of being an American Christian is this. Most American Christians will die and go to hell with a Bible on their coffee table. You say, what do I mean? I mean this. Like this lady, so many people have made their salvation about coming to church. What what mountain do we worship on? What mountain do we worship on? Should we worship here or should we worship there? Jesus says, it doesn't matter where you worship as long as you worship the right person. In fact, look with me if you will. I believe it's in verse number 22. Uh, verse number, uh, let's look in verse 22 and see if I'm right. And if not, we'll, we'll skim down there. Yep, verse number 22. Ye worship, ye know not what. It wasn't that she didn't worship. It was that she didn't direct her worship in the right way. 
He says, you're worshiping, you're plenty religious, but you don't even know what you're worshiping. That's the state of American Christianity. It is so polluted and diluted with all sorts of false gospels that people know enough about Jesus to think that they're saved, and they don't know enough about Jesus to actually be saved. You look at people all over this nation, they think that well, as long as I go to church, as long as I'm a good person, as long as I give occasionally to church, and as long as I try to live a pretty good life, that'll get me into heaven. My friend, hell will be full of the best sorts of people. It's not through church attendance that you get to heaven. In fact, the next thing that she brings up to Jesus, he says, well, I know Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he, will sh- he shall tell us all things. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when Messiah comes. The Messiah means the anointed one of God. And Jesus says, I am he. <laughs> You're speaking to him. You're looking at him. And if you'll drink this water, you will be saved. This lady was confused about where to worship, but primarily her biggest confusion was who to worship. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto us by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by His precious Son. Jesus Christ has been the one who God will be met through. You cannot get to God through any other means but Jesus. You can't get there through church attendance. You can't get there through being a good person. You can't get there by being kind and benevolent. You can't get there by donating to your favorite political uh, uh, campaign. You can't get there by thinking that Black Lives Matter is a good organization. You can't get there through being a social justice warrior or trying to think that, that uh, the things of this world aren't good and I'll despise the things of this world and I'll follow after only the things that, that lead to discipline and self-control. None of that matters. You must meet God through His His ordained, chosen one. That is the Messiah. The Bible says, For there is none other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. In fact, Jesus said it like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You say, Brother Andrew, you already know there's no visitors here this morning. Brother Sean asked them to raise their hand. You're right. In a sense, I'm preaching to the choir. But I am preaching to a choir who is unaware that their friends that, a- that attend all sorts of different churches may not be hearing a full gospel. May not be hearing that truly to repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ is not adding Jesus to a long list of other priorities in life, but it is eroding all of the other things that we focus on and putting Jesus at the forefront of our life and saying, I have have sacrificed all to follow you. I will carry my cross. I will live for you. I will walk in newness of life. Oh, that's not the idea of American Christianity today. Jesus is viewed as a good counselor, a motivational speaker today. That's not the idea of Jesus painted in Scripture. He is the one through whom salvation is found. And sadly enough, many of our closest friends who have checked Christian on their Facebook know nothing of what it is to actually believe in a Jesus that is worth living for and able to die with. We must go to untraveled places. We must reach unreached people. And I want you to see in the last place, we will then experience an unexperienced principle. Now Jesus begins to speak here. And He tells His disciples as the woman has gone away. Now imagine with me, if you will, the conversation is coming to an end. 
And the disciples are returning with the groceries. When they return, they see Jesus talking to this woman alone by the well. And they, in their minds, they say, and in fact, the Scripture gives us insight into what they're thinking. None of them asked, but they were all thinking, why is He talking to this woman? What is He doing? If Jesus had not been present at this well, this woman is never witnessed to. His disciples could have been there, but they would have never witnessed to this lady. Yet the disciples come right at the end of the conversation. The lady says, okay, okay, I'll be right back. I'm going to go get some folks. She goes off and it's here that Jesus is confronted by His disciples and they say, Master, why don't you eat something? Notice, if you will, in uh, verse number 31, the Bible says, In the meanwhile, His disciples prayed Him, saying, Master, eat. But he, saith, he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. We find two principles here, and we'll quickly cover them. Number one, we find the disciples' mission. The disciples are off looking for groceries. They have maybe been sent by the Lord. There's no record of that. Maybe they chose to go because they were hungry. That happens oftentimes through Scripture. (laughs) The disciples were hungry. And they decide to go to make a McDonald's run or whatever the case is. They come back and their primary focus is eating. Their their focus is, and and I know how it is. Maybe you don't know preacher all this, this well, but... I know him pretty well. I spent quite a bit of time with him. If you spend the day with preacher, you'll find that there is no such thing as breakfast, lunch, or dinner. There's no such thing. There's, we stop at the nearest gas station whenever we run out of fuel and we get something to eat while we're in there. That's kind of the way it works. I mean, if you make hospital visits with preacher, you're just on the way and, and uh, you know, between Cooks and, and, and JPS, you just stop at the nearest QT, get you a hot dog and a, and a soda, and, and you just go on from there. And this can happen at uh, 10.30 a.m. This could happen at 5.30 p.m. There's no schedule. There's no time to eat. And sometimes, me and my mom, we have to say, Dad, have you eaten today? Have you eaten? What, what have you eaten today? He's like, well, you know, I got up this morning and I, I looked at a donut. <laughs> I like, well, that doesn't count. You know, and, and so we kind of have to tell him sometimes, we need to eat. I think the disciples here, their motivation is good. They come to Jesus, he's famished. The, the passage told us earlier that he was worn out from the journey. I think it's good. But here's the thing, we get so focused on good that we fail to, settle, that we fail to engage in the best. Ministry is good. Calling people up and saying, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. I love you. That is good. Going to people's house and giving them food in a time of need when they've, just, when they've fallen ill or when they're, they've just had a baby or, or they're recovering from COVID. All of those are good things. You know what the best thing is? Bringing folks to Jesus. Sometimes we as disciples, our mission changes. We have one great mandate. One great mandate, and that is that we would reach the world with the gospel. We get focused on other stuff, and I'm guilty of it too. We get focused on vision electives. 
We get focused on sermon series. We get focused on all sorts of things. But the focus of the church and Jesus' disciples must be the harvest. We see the disciples' mission. But we see in the last place, Jesus' meat. He says, guys, I have meat to eat that you know not of. When they say, well, did you give him something to eat? I, I, I didn't give him anything to eat. And then verse number 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now, I've read through this chapter probably eight or nine times in preparation for this message. And I find no place where Jesus got a drink or got food. Now, he could have. There was opportunity, right? I mean, maybe the lady, while they were talking, maybe she was getting him water. Maybe she did leave her water pot there, and maybe Jesus got water for himself. I don't know. But I find no place where Jesus either drank or ate. And then at the end of it, he says, Guys, I am satisfied. I have meat to eat that you know not of. What is he saying? He's saying, I have done the will of the Father, and there is no better, there is no better feeling than that. Amen. He says, I'm satisfied by obeying God. Did you know this? I, I get there's all sorts of different levels of Christianity in here. I get it. There's new converts. There's people that have been saved for umpteen years, and I get it. But I, I have never gotten to the point in my life where I'm still not nervous when I go to reach somebody with the gospel, when I try to speak to them about it. I've never gotten to that point. Maybe when I get to be preacher's age or Dr. House's age. I mean, Dr. House ain't witnessed to nobody in a long time, but, but you know, preacher. Just kidding, Dr. House. You know, when I get their age, maybe, but I tell you, I've never, I've not been there yet. I still am anxious. I'm still nervous. I'm afraid that I'm going to run into the, the false prophet while I'm out trying to witness. It's like, man, he's got more answers than I got answers. That's a problem. I'm always nervous about that. But did you know that the responsibility for saving souls has never been on you? Jesus does not say, my meat is to save people. No, no, he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. You know what God's will is for you? That you would enter the harvest field. That you would carry the gospel. And I believe that the Bible tells us that if you will carry precious seed forth, if you will do that, if you bear precious seed weeping, you will doubtless come again with rejoicing. In fact, there's an indication here that Jesus is joyful over the fact that He is able to do the will of the Father. So Jesus is satisfied and He is joyful. Not only that, but Jesus in the last place has a purpose. He says, my purpose, my mission, my goal, my meat is to do the the will of him that sent me. Amen. And Jesus makes an indication in verse number 36. He says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. When you enter the harvest field, you're not gathering fruit for temporary, you're gathering fruit for the eternal. Basically, Jesus is saying, When I witness to folks, when, when I am able to see souls come to, come to me, I am, I am reaping a harvest for eternity. You know, there's a lot of things we do in this life that will not last very long. A lot of things. You know, a lot of the things we do for employers, a lot of things that we do here on earth, 
you know, we just move from one job to the next, one cell to the next, one pitch to the next, one thing to the next. Those things are always coming and going. But I think the moment we wake up on the other side of eternity, we're going to see what really should have mattered to us. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That man gave his life to a primitive tribe trying to reach them with the gospel. I think what we'll realize is there will come a day when we are on the other side of, of glory's gate. We'll stand in heaven and we'll say, wow, I should have been much more focused on the harvest. You ever wondered why in Jesus' day there was so much demonic oppression? Have you ever wondered that? You know, Jesus goes from person to person. He's casting out demons, casting out demons. Has it ever occurred to you why that is the case? Does that still happen today? I mean, does that still, is that still taking place today and there's just nobody to exercise those demons? What is the deal? Why, why is demonic presence so apparent in Jesus' ministry and yet uh, it doesn't seem to be as apparent in our ministry? Why is that? Well, I believe when God wants to do something great the devil will begin to combat it as equally forceful. What I'm saying is, the devil knew that Jesus was walking around. The devil knew that people were coming to him. The devil knew that he was uh, seeing entire areas. In fact, these Samaritans, a whole whole assembly of them come and beg Jesus to stay two more days. Many of them get saved. When God wants to do something great, the devil rises to the utmost of his power and says, I will do everything in my power to combat that good. Now, I want to apply that today as we consider this thought of the harvest. Is anybody else discouraged about the great evil in our day? I mean, the absolute utter depth and darkness of some of this evil we hear of. Of some of the most powerful people in all the world who were utterly wicked to their core. Does that concern anybody else? Now listen, do you think that maybe the devil is trying to raise His power in this day and age because God is trying to do the same for His people? Do you think there's any chance that in these last days, in these perilous times, that as the devil is clearly on the attack, that God Himself is waiting to rise just as equally powerful and forceful? And even more so, I might add. Do you think that might be the case? My point is this. We look at the world around us and we see all the bad. We look at the world around us and see all the wicked and all the evil and we feel like we're losing every day. We look at the world and we say, man, the devil won today. No, friend, God will win but we've got to lift up our eyes to the harvest. We've got to see that we can't be looking at the food. We can't be looking at the fields. We must look to Jesus and say, God, I will enter the harvest for you. There is nothing in this world so wicked and dark that the gospel cannot overcome. In fact, Jesus says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Friend, the harvest truly is plenteous. But for the nursery department, laborers are few. The harvest truly is plenteous. But for the tracks going out of this building, the laborers are few. Will we be like the disciples and just for a moment remove the blind spots of the harvest and lift up our eyes 
and see what Jesus is trying to get us engaged in?